from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast for the Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor. Today, I got to talk to Don Bear. Don is a pretty funny guy. You know, when you first meet him, he's really quiet, but he has got a wicked sense of humor and he's a psychologist. He's a professor and I get the opportunity to share a little bit of his brain today. So welcome, Don, to Laugh Box, my friend. Hey, thank you for inviting me, Kip. Oh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Now, if you could tell our, our listeners a little bit about um, what you do, um, and then we'll start in on the, uh, the topic that we're going to hit today. Sure. I do a little bit of everything, but I teach graduate psychology students in, who want to be a, a clinical psychologist. I write. Uh, I do presentations. I was just in Montreal and did a, a talk about the humor of Muhammad Ali, and how he used humor both when he was able to be very strong and win all those fights, and then later when he, his health went bad, and how humor helped him keep his sense of identity and connect to other people in good times and bad. How very interesting, because uh, not a lot of that came through in the movie, Ali. Um, <laughs> I mean, right, certainly, right. It, you know, it was a good movie good movie however you know some of that didn't really come uh, come through you know but I'm interested in you know that and how you what were some of the examples you know you used in the talk I mean we'll get into what we're going to hit on you know in a minute but I'm just that just spurred my interest real quick as far as you know some of the things that Muhammad Ali used well actually it was you know he had a very verbal kind of aggressive humor when he was when he was a, a boxing champion uh, he did things. He would he would create humorous poetry. He would predict what round he would knock out his opponent in. He would do all kinds of playful poems about about uh, boxing. Uh, but then, as his health deteriorated and as he basically lost the ability to use his hands without trembling and his voice became a whisper, he still was a humorous person. You know, humor not only was part of his identity. It also helped him connect to other people. Uh -huh. So he started doing quiet magic tricks. He did magic tricks, making his thumb appear and disappear, pretending he could elevate. Uh, but he also pl even played with his his sleeping spells. That he would, he and his wife Lonnie would basically have a deal that that he might start falling asleep, and then you would see him kind of reaching out and like starting to to box a bit and she would say oh this happens in his sleep poor man he just starts boxing in his sleep you don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and then after he he would open his eyes and say gotcha gotcha so they even made fun of of you know the, the, the poor ill man uh they made fun of the illness uh so it, like everything else in life he felt like there's something to play with here uh -huh. So that even that quiet humor allowed him to continue that sense of his identity and connect to his fans. That he's not just this poor sick man; he's still Ali. He always will be. Right. Well, it's interesting because sometimes when we see somebody that's in that kind of position, we might take a, a different mindset with that person as far as feeling sorry for them. Or, or but you know, there's still you know that person in there. So that's a, a great thing to keep in mind that he still had a sense of humor and he's still he was still Ali. 
Absolutely, from the beginning to the end. And I learned some of that from, I had a wonderful, when I was in training, Chip, for in clinical psychology, I had just a wonderful supervisor uh, named Joseph Triggs, Dr. Joe Triggs. He was a blind therapist. He was a wonderful therapist. He had, he had a, a guide dog named Tristan, but he told me as, we, as I was his student that he wasn't really prepared to be a blind person. He said, you know, I, life didn't predict that. I never thought of myself as that. And he just wasn't sure. He lost his eyesight when an, a surgery went bad. He woke up blind, being guided, set up for the guide dog. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I, I, did what, I really didn't think I could live as a blind person. And he truly had some thoughts about possibly ending his own life. Mm-hmm. And then he said, that, but one day, was I was in a deep depression, something struck me as very, very funny. And all of a sudden, my sense of humor came back. And he said, he realized, it was an aha moment. He said, I, I couldn't live as a solemn blind person, but I can live as a playful, funny blind person. And he said, so he said, if I can, I, if I can still laugh, I can still live. And those words stayed with me. Uh, and that was basically how he decided he could get going. He, he was such a wonderful therapist and teacher, but he had to deal with his own despair and humor helped him deal with his decision to keep on living. Very interesting, which kind of leads it leads me really nice segue into kind of like what we're it, it, we're going to talk about today, you know, humor and resiliency, because I know that you and Steve Wilson are going to be doing a, a program at the conference in April on, you know, humor and resiliency. And I think that, you know, that's a great segue to start thinking about how humor can give us a little bit of power over maybe our situation or maybe just a different mindset so we can power through. So, you know, thinking about that, what are some of the things that, you know, when you're looking to be resilient, that humor can do for you? Or how do you put it into play? Well, part of it has to do with your appraisal of your situation. You know, there is, there's a cognitive psychologist that kind of set this emotion by talking about all the things we do to make a bad situation worse. Mm-hmm. We do like mind reading and we know that whatever the other people around us are doing is they're saying, they're saying bad things and it's bad things about us. We're doing fortune telling. We're just predicting everything that's going to happen in the future is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mood goes sour. So you know, we do what they call emotional reasoning. And that means you're basically how you, you, you interpret the world the way your emotions are. So if you feel rotten and you feel sad or you're depressed or anxious, you're going to think in that way. So one of the most important things that we can do in our resiliency is to maintain our mood, a better mood. It's not just about feeling good because mood is connected to our thoughts. Um, we have even our memories are connected to mood. It's kind of like you know when you go to the movies, Chip, and basically they're playing a certain kind of music, either a sad music or an upbeat music or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of connects to what's happening in the film. Well, we kind of operate the same way as human beings. So if we're in a sad mood, it's much easier for us to remember sad things that happened in our past, and it's much easier to to predict sad things in the future. When we're on a better mood, it's easier to remember the good things that ever happened in your past, and it's easier to predict good things that could happen possibly in the future. 
So maintaining your mood is not just a matter of, hey, I'm feeling good and no problems. It's a matter of actually trying to help us operate and make the most of situations, including difficult situations. But maintaining our mood is important, and humor is one of those ways of self-soothing that lets us do it in a healthy way and not an unhealthy way. So for you personally, what are some of the things that you do for, to maintain that, that mood? What are some of your strategies? One of the things I do is, is I have some favorite, favorite movies and TV shows that always helped me. My very favorite TV show ever was called Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh. I don't know if you ever saw it. but <laughs> I, they, I have, yes. They take the very worst movies ever made, and they're trying to basically turn lemon into lemon pie. Uh, so, okay, how can we have fun or a good time, even in this terrible situation, watching mm -hmm. this ghastly movie? So they use every form of humor and play to mock, but also just enjoy what would have otherwise been a terrible experience. Right. So puns, wordplay, strange associations, just plain nonsense. It's done very fast. And if I, if I spend like 10 minutes watching a Mystery Science Theater episode, really the classic good ones, uh, you know, my brain is suddenly there. That, that flexibility that it gives us, the ability to appraise a situation in more than one way, and just plain enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Because one of the key things that, that, that Rod Martin, who's written a wonderful, he's, he's a guy called the person in psychology research, who wrote the book, The Psychology of Humor, he said the real key part of humor that basically helps us is the ability to get it, to understand the humorous connection, and to be able to see things in more than one way. You know, like when we're depressed, we just see, okay, everything's depressing. Right. When we're sad, everything's sad. When we're anxious, everything's going to make us more anxious. So to be able to basically play with whatever we encounter in our life, even our own thoughts, to play with them, to be flexible with them means that we're not just stuck. The whole point of humor is to get unstuck and to enjoy the president and try to make the future better. It's kind of funny when you said Mr. Science Three uh, Theater 3000, I automatically had a smile on my face because it's a show that I, I, I enjoy as well. And uh, when we get off the call, I'm probably going to uh, Google one of my favorite episodes was a Christmas special, but they had did a uh, 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 a parody song on Roadhouse and oh, like, yes. it, was, it was like a Patrick Swayze Christmas about yes, right. roundhouse and right. somebody and you know kicking their butt it was just hilarious and I was almost, yeah. almost crying I was laughing so hard when I saw it because I don't know what it's about the movie Roadhouse it's just one of those movies when it's on I, I have to watch it just because it is so horrible but <laughs> you know, when they did that whole Patrick Swayze Christmas thing I was just I was dying laughing it was hilarious it was good stuff Oh, yeah. And what, what's, what that reminds me of, Chip, is that, you know what, humor and things like the Mystery Science Theater for us is like, for, for many people can be, okay, well, that was a funny show. That was interesting. That, that made me forget my problems, whatever. But for someone else, just like you with that, with that parody song and me with certain episodes, it's like, wait a minute, we're having a personal connection to it. It's an aha moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me when I first saw the Marx Brothers movie, Horse Feathers. I had come back from, I was at university and attended a philosophy class, and I understood nothing. 
not one word that the professor said made any sense to me. And I was feeling so dumb and I felt my future was hopeless because I didn't understand philosophy. I couldn't understand all these long words. Mm -hmm. I just felt like my, I had no future. And I went to my parents' house after the, after the lecture, feeling low, turn on the TV, and there was a Marx Brothers movie, Horse Feathers. And there was Groucho Marx doing a lecture, a college lecture that was a total nonsense. Uh -huh. It was totally crazy. And it was totally preposterous. He was making sentences into no sentences into nonsense on purpose. So his lecture gave me laughter and joy. And I realized, wait a minute, words could also be humorous playthings. Mm -hmm. You know, that I could still have fun with the words that I tormented me in class could actually be fun and could be, could be played with. So to me, that was my aha awakening moment. To everybody else watching Horse Feathers, perhaps that day was like, oh, that's a funny old movie. To me, it was like, wow, I can do this too. I can play with words. Right. Kind of like uh, in the movie, uh, Good Morning Vietnam, you know, for me being a military person, when yeah. uh, Robin Williams is Adrian Cronauer, uh, I think, uh, does this whole spiel using different acronyms. I mean, he just does a whole spiel using different acronyms, which made sense to me because being a military person, you live your life on acronyms, but just the way he tooled them all together. And <laughs> you know, I was just like, yes, that is my entire <laughs> life. My entire life is an acronym. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of that, that personal identification is is probably paramount in thinking about, because we all have different senses of humor. Like there are some things like my wife and I'll be watching at the same time. She's laughing her butt off, but I, it, it's not funny to me and vice versa. There are some things that are just hilarious to me and doesn't don't mean anything to her. So I, I guess it's it, being reflective enough or lucky enough, maybe in some cases, to be exposed to that thing that, oh, that gives you that connection. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's as personal as your fingerprint, what we find funny. So and that's a great strategy for, you know, looking at helping us uh, be resilient. What are some other things that, you know, because I know that you're a big researcher, so it's not going to be just when, uh, you know, your opinion on things when you come to and talk at the conference it's gonna be like these are the these are the facts what are some of the things that you've been uncovering in your research as you prep for the the conference well part of it has to do with psychology has spent a lot of its time looking at all the things that go wrong mm -hmm. all the things that basically that have been causing people distress and misery and that makes sense you know you want to start with there but it's only in fairly recent times that what's that what's called positive psychology has, as you know, kind of come to the fore with looking, okay, well, what also goes right? What helps people to basically transcend whatever the most difficult situation can be? Uh, so what it's, it's, I guess one thing I want to emphasize is that, I guess H.L. Mencken, the great writer used to say, that you know, to every complex situation, there's always one simple answer, and it's always wrong. <laughs> nice. There's humor is is part of the answer, but it's not the whole answer. It is one part of many things that can be helpful as people deal with their resilience. So, to me, that's really important to emphasize. You and I and everybody in the organization love humor, and it's, we found it very valuable personally. Mm -hmm. But to overemphasize, to say this is the only thing, or if you don't have my sense of humor or whatever, 
uh, you're you're missing something. We also, I mean, Lewis Black, Lewis Black said it best. I think he said, you know, that I hear all the time, laughter is the best medicine. But he said, you know what? When I'm in, when I'm sick, give me a shot of penicillin. Yeah. Well, I've always looked at it as not the end all be all, but kind of like the catalyst for me to, like you said, like if I want a better mood, it can help that catalyst to be a to be in a better mood. Or if I want to connect with somebody, it can be that catalyst to help me connect with somebody else. And it's not the only thing, but it certainly yeah. is that thing yeah. that is um, an operator. It makes things go a little bit smoother. And inherently, it's like, it's like salt. You know, you don't you don't you want to have a little bit. You don't have too much, but you want to have. If you don't have some in your green beans or your stew or something, if something very vital is missing. That is a great analogy. Life's just going to be a little more bland without yes. sprinkle a little humor on it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> a George George Burns, the wonderful old comedian who's. Uh, <laughs> who said when he was in his 90s, he said, he can't die, he's booked. Uh, he, he would talk about that there are, the, basically the sure way to basically to, to live longer is to have a life without humor. You may not live longer, but it will just seem longer. Mm -hmm. So does, you know, going back to what you're talking about with Muhammad Ali and, you know, your uh, stressors in your philosophy class. So does, you know, humor then or being able to laugh at a situation uh, give you kind of a power position over it? Does it give you a little more control? I mean, what, what's, what, what is it about it that makes it, that gives you that perspective? Yeah, it gives you a choice. It gives you a choice in how you react to something. I mean, my motto, one of the things, I'm, one of my things I have discovered in life is that most nonsense that you hear in life is not said by a comedian. Most nonsense you hear in life is said with a straight face. And you don't know whether to be, when you're young, you basically realize, oh gosh, that must be true because this person said this. And they, mm -hmm. uh, so they had to have a position of authority. That's why the Marx Brothers were so liberating. They, were, they would mock people in positions of authority. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, you have a choice with humor. You, can, you have a choice of reaction. You can appraise it in, in more than one way, uh, which, is, which gives you freedom. It lets you realize, you know, we have freedom, but we don't even often fully realize it. Part of it is because we're so desperately trying to be accepted by other people. Mm -hmm. And other people are full of full advice, which is free, which is actually it's worth every penny of it. It's free advice to basically tell you what you need to do and what's what you're doing wrong. And the freedom to basically say, okay, I can accept that or I can, I can, I can say, well, that's just, that's nonsense. It's said with a straight face, but it's still nonsense. That gives a sense of sense of power and, and, and sense of some control over, over our lives. So, I mean, sometimes things just aren't funny. I mean, no. when you're going through a trial and tribulation, I mean, things just are not funny. Yeah, no, um, no. I know, you know if you're in excruciating pain or what. So no. how do you, as a psychologist, I mean, so if I come to you and I'm just like going through the worst time, I mean, are you going to tell me, you know, we'll go out and find something to laugh about or are you just like, you know, what you feel is what you feel, you know, the humor will come later. I mean, what's the, what's the prescription, Doc? <laughs> the most important thing is, is, Compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. Compassion towards the person's situation 
And you know, it's, it's, it's very important to express that you understand and take quite seriously the pain that they're experiencing or have experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're not trying to divert someone from their pain. You're not trying to divert someone from what's happened. You need to demonstrate that you really care about what's going on. You're not there to be a sit down comedian. You're there to basically be helpful in any way possible. What, I just what I just had a, a vision in my mind of somebody coming and sitting on your couch, you know, and going through a little therapy, but you're just ringing off a bunch of one liners. Um, exactly. it, it, it's not, so I know that doesn't happen, but in my head, what I just was seeing was hilarious. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, <laughs> and I think, you know, you know, the, the movies are filled with examples of psychologists and therapists who do variations on that, who basically, you know, that's, there's something. There's something. There's something about Mary. I think there's a psychiatrist who is who kind of leaves during the during the the session and then comes back just having just, just at the very end and then uh, makes an appearance to say, "Oh, time is up." And that's the whole thing. There's a million cliches of bad psychiatrists and psychologists mm -hmm. in the movies. Actually, I wrote my dissertation about uh, psychology in the movies. Uh, so the key thing is compassion and empathy. Uh, but also, you know, part of one aspect of humor that way is diagnostically, you know, if, if a person has no, expresses no bit of humor in, in your interaction with them, just like, you know, outside of therapy, uh, it's like, gosh, you know, this, you would, you would notice that. You would notice, okay, this person never finds anything funny. This person only has tragedy. But it's, if a person is able to express a little of it, and you hear for it, you're listening for it, oh wow, there's some aspect of this person, a healthy part of this person that is there too. You know, nobody is all defective, no one is all ill, no one is all well. Uh, I'll give you an example. When, during my internship year, I had a plate on my desk. I was a big fan of Warner Brothers cartoons and a cartoon was a what of Michigan J. Frog. Michigan J. Frog, the, the singing and dancing frog. It was just there for me to help me keep my sense of humor amongst the stress of, of my work. Right. I was working with a, a woman client and who was extremely depressed and extremely fearful that, that there had been suicide in her family and this was going to be her fate too. And we had several sessions as we kind of I tried to listen and offer encouragement and be with her. Uh, three sessions in, all of a sudden, she notices Michigan J. Frog on my plate, my, my, my desk. Yeah. And she points at that, and she stops talking about how awful her life is and going to be. And she said, I know that cartoon. That's a great cartoon. And I pick up the plate and I hand it to her and she holds on to it and looks at it. Mm -hmm. and, and I tell her, gosh, this is the first time you've ever said that anything in your life has ever brought you pleasure or enjoyment. Uh -huh. I, I wonder if there's anything else besides Michigan J. Frog that ever made you happy. And we started looking at that and finding that and listing those and going from based upon her list about things that also she has enjoyed in the past but has stopped doing now and that maybe she might want to try doing again. So it wasn't anything I said. It wasn't a joke. It was she 
there are part of her that could respond to humor after several weeks of being listened to was there and said, wait a minute, she loved Michigan J. Frog. She loved that cartoon. She, uh, and there were other things she loved in life too. So there was like humor as a way of trying to spark. Right. Basically help find that there are parts of her that are, that are still hopeful. So what I hear you saying is that sometimes, even though when it's, if things are at their darkest, that maybe you should, you know, instead of focusing on all the, that negativity, but perhaps to go through and think about some of those things that maybe you found humorous or you found joyful and maybe relive those in your head a little bit and start focusing on those to shift your focus a little bit. Yeah. And actually go out and do some of the things that had brought her pleasure, which is what we did. Uh, set up, you know, listen, here's some, here's some homework. Okay. Well, I see what this is like. See, uh, when you kind of do some of these things that you hadn't done in a long time that were pleasurable in the past. So she had all this capacity in her, but she was, you know, it, it was, so humor helped light the light. You almost helped her find the hope. I always right. feel like in working, you know, when with, with ourselves or with other people in distress, finding the hope is the important important thing. That's what gets us started. It's, it's no great genius on the part of any therapist or psychologist or therapist. It's, it's their compassion, but also helping that person together find, find hope. I like that. That's nice. Now, going back to what you were saying at the very beginning with Muhammad Ali, that humor helps him connect with people. Because I know a lot of times when uh, I will have a tendency or propensity to isolate myself if I'm going through a bad time. I just, you know, And I think that that's probably one of the worst things I can do to isolate myself because then I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm just stuck in my head, repeating all the negative stuff and so forth. So, you know, humor is a connection device and bringing people in. Does that help also with your own resiliency? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, it's important to stay connected and, and especially when you're, when you're undergoing a, a, a lot of problems or difficulties or challenges and that, you know, if so, demonstrating the humorous part of yourself uh, allows another person to come in can helps connect you. I mean, I used to talk to people who were very shy and said, I don't really when I go out, I'm not a performer. And I would say, you either, you don't have to be, but maybe if you have a watch that basically has Homer Simpson on it instead of just Timex, mm-hmm. or if you wear a shirt that basically has something that's, that's a generalized, just kind of a play place, Tweety pie on it. Uh, instead of just a, a white shirt or a blue shirt, I used to carry a Charlie Chaplin tote bag with me everywhere until it wore out. And I, and actually, I also carried a Warner Brothers with Bugs Bunny on it uh, back, uh, bag. And you, you, it's amazing what happens in such instances. I was just waiting for a bus carrying my Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny bag, and, and an older gentleman approached him. He said, oh, do you work for Warner Brothers? He said, well, no, I just like the cartoons. He said, well, I thought you might have worked for Warner Brothers. I made a recording at Warner Brothers once with Louis Armstrong. And I just thought you might have. I thought, wow, I got to meet someone who played with Satchmo, all because I was just carrying this bag with Bugs Bunny on it. That's funny. I had a boss. Carry something with you that attracts the right people. You could connect, even if you feel so isolated. Right. It's and, and that can be pretty easy. I had a boss one time that I had a hard time connecting with. He was really uh, 
uh, an introvert. He took everything very literally. So I found myself uh, avoiding him all the time. So one day I was in the passageway and on the East Coast, they have a potato chip company called Utz Potato Chips. And my name's Les oh, yeah. Lutz. And so he was walking through the passageway and he looked at me and I was eating the potato chips and he was like, oh, Utz Lutz, Utz Lutz. And so then <laughs> that was my opportunity to connect. And I said, well, funny thing, sir, is that my own grandma actually started that potato chip company. He's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I said, you know, she started in her basement, she'd peel the potatoes herself, she'd slice them, she'd, you know, fry them, she'd go door to door selling them, and it started taking off. And as she started taking off, she started getting more employees, and she had to move from the basement into an actual building and a factory, and you know, had more people working for her, and was really starting to bring a lot of money in. I said, it was really, a, it was about the time that the Lindbergh baby had gotten had gotten kidnapped and she started, you know, worrying about the safety of her grandchildren and so forth. So she's like, we need to change the name. You know, I need to protect these kids. So she said, Hey, get the L out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's great. So he just, he just looked at me really stoically shook his head and walked back in his office. But it changed, <laughs> it changed the dynamic of our relationship after that. Yeah. that oh yeah. He, he knew me a little bit better. We, we connected a little bit better after that. He wasn't, uh, it wasn't so much uh, him being a super, because he was the big boss, but it kind of, I don't want to say leveled the playing field, but it, it, um, it connected us a little bit more. So I just yeah uh, I, yeah and you know finding finding a similar sense of humor helps us to connect to those people that are otherwise would be strangers to us. Awesome, yeah. It's uh, I had an opportunity to interview uh, Father uh, John Noss. He was a professor up at Marquette University, and he was also a clown. But when I was working on my um, uh, master's thesis, yeah, I got to talk to him about because he did a class on humor in the classroom and humor in education. And he said that uh, one thing that I always remember that he said that humor renders learners benevolent. And mm. I thought about that just in my own life that, you know, when there's conflicts or something else going on that if I can find the humor and share that with somebody that it renders, it renders them benevolent and we're able to actually kind of connect on a different plane then. Oh yeah. Nice. So any other key things that, you know, you've been coming, you know, you're finding that you're like, you know, I'm so excited about, you know, giving this, because I'm excited about, just talking to you, I'm excited about listening, you know, to you and Steve's program in April. I just say, I know I'll get a lot from it and I don't want to ruin everything for me because, you know, any other teasers you want to uh, give the listeners as far as like, hey, this is what you can kind of expect? Well, one of the things we've been doing is kind of diving into seeing, you know, we, most people would agree. We, most Americans don't agree on much right now, but we all definitely agree we're living in kind of difficult times, yeah. challenging times. Uh, and so what we're doing is looking back at how people in other challenging times dealt with them and used humor as a way of trying to stay resilient and to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, so going into, it's actually in, found some things in from World War II. People in occupied Norway were actually keeping joke books, uh, jokes and humorous things about the Nazis occupying them that helped unify them, helped them give them relief, but also helped them say, okay, resistance is not just what we should do. Resistance is fun. (laughs) So they even turned out little, like there was a color, a children's book that we that we found that was published at the time at which they kind of had put in secret messages about the occupation and the, the occupiers and stuff. And uh, anyway, it's just wonderful to find these all these little ways in which people who were in difficult t- times 
use creativity and humor to basically stay unified, but also to help them to kind of stay resilient, stay bubbly. That's awesome. So I love I, these secret messages they would do in the children's book, though, until they finally, the Nazis actually said, oh, this is what a wonderful book. This is, we, this is the Norway's answer to Dr. Seuss. So they found out what he was really doing. Uh-huh. I'd say in my mind, I have a picture of kids playing pin the mustache on the Fuhrer. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you spending a little time with me today to share a little bit about you know, the, the session that you guys are going to have at the conference and just give some, some good tips for people to help them be a little more resilient. You know, for me, thinking about my own mental well-being, I'm always looking for new things to help me uh, bounce back a little bit faster, and you certainly give me some of that today. If after today people want to connect with you, where, where can they go? They can uh, email me at dbaird3k at gmail.com. They can visit my website, sufferingishighlyoverrated.net. Uh, so uh, anyway, either of those places, and I look forward to seeing everybody at ATH in April. I like that. <laughs> I like that website. Sufferingisoverrated.net. Suffering is highly overrated, but not net. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today, Don. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Chip. Thanks for the great recording. This is Laughbox, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review Laughbox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.